Thanks so much for listening to the Clifton Church of Christ sermon podcast. We really appreciate you taking the time to listen, and we hope if ever you're in Clifton, Texas, you'll stop by and say hello. We hope you enjoy this sermon. Good morning, everyone. It's great to be here with all of you, and for those of you joining online, we're glad to have you. I would like you to think back on some of the major changes that have happened in your life. I know for me, one time my family moved when I was in high school. That was a big change. I remembered getting a job after college and going to work. And it still, with youth ministry, it still just felt like cheating getting to call it work because of all the fun I got to have. But went to work, you know, got there at 8 a.m., left at 5 p.m., had a lunch break, you know, worked. Uh, got married. That was a big change. But I tell people all the time that none of those changes remotely come close to how much my life changed when Landry Joe was born. And I remember talking recently to some new parents, and I remember saying, going from one child to two children was still so, like the change, difference in change was just so small compared, for me, compared to going from zero children to one children. And I don't know if any of y'all can relate to that, but for me, I just remember going from not having kids to Landry Joe being born, I, you know, I for the first maybe 48 hours had a slight like panic attack just at how, is it gonna, I, I told Catherine, I had no idea you had to change their diaper that much. I seriously thought, you know, like there's a certain number of times surely in a day, but no, it's constant. And I thought, well, you know, it'll be where there's some sleeping and there's some crying, but for the most part, but it's constant. And, and even this kind of a semi-panic of, am I ever going to be able, and, I, and Catherine's doing most of the work. This is me as like, a, a, like the sidekick, you know, Catherine's doing most of the work. And even I still had a certain level of, man, my independence in many ways has just, is gone. Everything I do now is with the context of how does this affect my, my, my family, my child. Like Catherine likes to joke and tell the story of, or at least she remembers vividly, you know, whenever I went back to work and it was just her with Landry Joe, there would come that moment where it was, I haven't taken a shower in like three days. I ought to take a shower and what do I do with the baby? You know, where do I put the baby for a second? You know, maybe the baby's sleeping, but it's kind of like, if I need a shower and it's before church and I, I need to get ready and the baby's up and I'm awake, what am I supposed to do? Kind of this, okay, I'm going to set you in your bassinet like outside of the bathroom and I'm going to shower, but I'm going to be ready in case. That's, that's just something she never had to worry about before. Before it was, I need to get ready for church. I'm going to get ready and then I'm going to go. We want to go, hey, do you want to go to a restaurant? You know, hey, you want to go to Royal Pizza tonight? Sure, let's go. Now it's, okay, let's get the diapers. Let's make sure we have the wipes. Let's get the backpack. We, there's a whole new change. And one of the things that's hard for us, in my opinion, to quite comprehend is just how much when people back in the Bible times said, I'm going to give my life to Christ. He is going to become my Lord, and I am going to worship him alone and follow him alone. Just how radical of a change that would be for someone's life. I know for me, growing up in church, growing up in church and choosing to get baptized didn't feel like a huge change from what I was, I, I kept doing what I had done my whole growing up. And I know some of you may have grown up in a situation where you didn't grow up in a church family. But I'm guessing when you went to school the next day and said, I got baptized, I decided to follow Christ. 
for many of you, people didn't go, oh my goodness, whoa, what a change. Whereas back in this time period, when you decided to stop following the gods of the community, when you decided to stop attending the religious festivals, whenever everyone said, hey, I didn't see you at the Marduk festival the other day, you know, we were slaughtering some goats and we were, you know, it was a great event. We missed you. Oh, well, I don't go to that anymore. I'm a Christian now. I serve God alone. I, that's what I do now. There's this huge shift in your life. And Colossians has been from a lot of this letter, and now just the whole second half is all about this, this idea of we, Paul constantly saying, you have a major life change that has happened, and now your life needs to reflect that. I'm going to list just a few phrases he said to show this. Colossians 2.6, he says, So then, just as you received Christ as Lord, live your lives in Christ. You received Christ, now you need to live as Christ would want you to live. Live Christ. Chapter 3, verse 1. Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your heart on things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. You used to live like this. Now you've been raised with Christ. Set your heart on things of the kingdom. Uh, 3, 5. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature. And 3, 12. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly beloved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Because of your decision to follow Christ, you have died to this old life, your old clothes, and you have now put on a new self, a new life, new clothes in Christ that are defined by compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and most importantly, love. And so the phrase that I want you to hold on to, and this is something that I'm, a, I'm very passionate about this. Oh, I guess I'm going to put it. This is my illustration I'm going to use later. If you think that's impressive, that's just some clip art, you know, and some, uh, some little shapes on PowerPoint. But the idea is that you had an old life, you came to know Christ, Christ, boy, that sounded country, came to know Christ, and you have been transformed. One of my professors liked to call this, you have been cruciformed. You have been transformed by the crucifixion into a new resurrection life. And so we often think, when we hear the word resurrection and new life, we think of we've lived this life, our hearts have stopped beating, we have died, and now we are a part of the resurrection and the resurrection life. And constantly, over and over in the New Testament, the idea is you used to live this old life, but now that you have come to know Christ, you have died in the waters of baptism and been raised with Him, you are now living that resurrection life today. When your heart stops beating, you are going to go from one resurrection life to a new resurrection life. You are already getting to be a part of that resurrected life and living in the kingdom here and now. And so this line, Paul wants you to live here and now in the present as the resurrection people we will be for eternity. W what do you mean, Drew? The person you're going to be up in heaven or whatever the new heavens and the new earth looks like for all at eternity where you will love fully as Christ, you will be selfless fully as Christ would want you to be, you will be merciful as fully as Christ would want you to be, all those traits, you can go ahead and start living that resurrected eternity life right now, today. Yes, we're not going to be perfect at it. Yes, we're going to fail. We're going to get our clothes dirty every once in a while and have to still be constantly renewed by the blood of the Lamb but we're going to do our best to live in the present. As the resurrection people, we will be for eternity. And so whenever we have this line here that we finished last week's sermon with, in chapter, seven, or chapter 3, verse 17, it says, And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, whether, whatever you say, whatever your actions are, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, 
giving thanks to God the Father through him. Paul is saying, a resurrected person does everything and says everything in the name of Christ. And then, this is the very next verse. The very next verse says, Wives, submit yourselves to your husbands as is fitting to the Lord. Husbands, love your wives, so on and so forth. And for some of you, that might be like, whoa, that came out of nowhere. How did we get from talking about this resurrection life to talking about what husbands and wives and parents and children should do? How did we get there? And for Paul, it's very simple. For Paul it is, I am going to take the premise of living as resurrected people and I am going to apply it to the most basic, fundamental thing that we all experience, which is family life. We often, and I've said this before, we often treat the Bible as an encyclopedia. I have a question about this topic. Let me look in the back of the Bible for where it talks about that topic. Let me turn the pages to the right spot. Oh, this is where it talks about husbands and wives. This is where it talks about elders and deacons. This is where it talks about how I should handle my money. This is what it's talking about. And that isn't bad. It's just maybe not ideal for how to read the Bible. Because instead, we often start, preachers start this sermon right here, and we just do a sermon on the relationship between husband and wives, the relationship between children and fathers, and we preach that sermon. But you have to read every single thing that we're about to read through the lens of Whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, even in your household, or especially in your household. So let's, let's read this together. If any of you, anything I read, I'm going to try today not to break down each and every one of these. If you want to do that, come to Wednesday night class. I want to focus on the big picture of what Paul is really trying to get across. Of course, I'm going to make some notes of the details. It can't help but do that. But I'm mostly going to focus on the big picture. So let's read this together. If you want to turn in your Bibles to Colossians 3, starting in verse 18. Wives, submit yourselves to your husbands, as is fitting in the Lord. Notice he's going to say a lot of things about in the Lord, fear of the Lord, pleases the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not embitter your children, or they will become discouraged. Slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything, and do it not only when their eye is on you and to curry their favor, but with sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters. I know a lot of people that that is one of their favorite Bible verses, but they often don't include the part that Paul is writing to servants or slaves. Uh, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is, the, it is the Lord Christ you are serving. Anyone who does wrong will be repaid for their wrongs, and there is no favoritism. Masters, provide your slaves with what is right and fair, because you know that you also have a master in heaven. So let me just point out a few details before we go to the big picture. A few details are, First of all, it would have been incredibly common to see someone back then write household codes. To write, this is what men should do, husbands should do, wives should do, fathers, children, blah, blah, blah. What would have been uncommon is to write something that tells the, the more powerful of the group, the more in charge of the group codes. It would have made total sense to read something that was, hey, wives, you are subordinate, here's your codes. Hey, children, you are subordinate, here's your codes. Hey, slaves, you are subordinate, here's your codes. It is completely and totally radical that Paul wrote codes for both, that he wrote things to expect from both sides. Another thing that 
a detail I want to point out is for Paul, the idea of wives submitting to their husbands is not to the tyranny of their husbands. It is to the love of their husbands. He doesn't say, submit yourselves to your husbands because that's your job. He says, submit yourselves to your husbands as to Christ. Husbands, love your wives. They are, uh, they are not separate and apart from each other. They depend upon each other. Another thing that I want to point out that is a, a detail for me that I think is uh, worth mentioning you have to remember, as I've said before, when we read these letters, Paul is writing to a group of people in a certain context. We clearly don't live in this context anymore. If I were writing a letter to this church, I would not say, hey, y'all, this is how you should treat your slaves. No, no one in here has a slave. And our concept of slavery is far different from the context of people back then. But another thing that is crucial to this passage is the idea that we don't realize that back then, the man of the household basically had all legal right to do whatever to his wife or to his children and that his wife and his children were just a step above property. I mean, just an inch. I didn't include all the quotes that I read this week, but basically a father had every right if their child, if their son disobeyed him, had every right to have him killed. And there was no legal ramifications. It was like, hey, he's my son, he's my property. Just like, would any of you get upset if one of your, like, let's say your animal was sick and you decided to put down your animal? Any, any of you going to put, be put up in arms? That was practically the same thing that the way husbands were allowed to treat their wives back then and were allowed to treat their children as just a step above animals, just a step above property. And so we have to remember, and I'm going to talk about this more big picture, but for Paul to do this, to us it may seem like, oh, that sounds like a list that I've maybe heard before, some of the things. For the original audience, this would have been, whoa, Paul, this is big stuff. This is a extreme. You want the husbands to actually have love for their wives? Isn't this just a cordial business relationship? The parents made this arrangement happen and we're just two people living in the same house? You want me to love my wife? What? To us, it doesn't sound shocking, hopefully. <laughs> hopefully that doesn't sound shocking. But to them, it was especially shocking. And so the last thing I want to point out, and this is just me planting a seed for next sermon and the sermon after that. Did y'all notice that the slave and master section is way longer than these? Did you notice that? It's because Paul is planting a seed because what you will learn next week and the week after that is that how many of you are familiar with the letter Philemon in the Bible, which is the letter about a runaway slave that has run away from his master. And we know that Tychicus, who's delivering this letter to the church in Colossae, has Onesimus, the runaway slave, with him. And it's very likely that Paul is, or Tychicus is handing this letter of Colossians to the people, and in his back pocket is the letter to Philemon. And so it's like, hey, before I hand you this letter about how you two should treat each other as a, a master and a runaway slave, before you decide what you should do, I want you to read this letter about how masters should treat their slaves first. Then let's see how, so just so you know, that's, that's Paul being very intentional planting this seed. Okay. Enough of the details, big picture now. Big picture. Jesus is Lord of all creation. That is the theme in Colossians. Jesus is Lord of everything, and so therefore you should have a new life. And that new life is not just for your public worship, but it is also for your home. Putting on the new life of Christ begins with your home. I love this quote. I'm going to read it a couple times so y'all can let it sink in. By a man named Frederick Bruce. 
It is in the closest and most familiar relationships of daily living that the reality of one's Christian profession, by the way, profession doesn't mean job, it means like to profess Christ as Lord. It is in the closest and most familiar relationships of daily living that the reality of one's Christian profession will normally be manifest, if at all. What this guy is saying is he's saying, if you're ever going to show that Christ is Lord of your life, if that's ever going to show itself up in your life whatsoever, then it better happen in your closest and most intimate and most familiar relationships. And part of why I can relate to this so clearly, so vividly, is I come from a family, I think I'm allowed to say this, mom, dad, if you're watching, but I come from a family where we care deeply about how people perceive us out in the community. Some of you may be like, what? Some of you may be like, I can relate to that. But I remember we would all go out and do our lives and we would all put on our best face, be our nicest, be our kindest, most forgiving, most understanding, and then we would come home exhausted from a day's work of putting on our best face. And so we were usually the meanest to anybody that we were to each other. Can any of y'all relate to that? How many of you, when you drop your kids off and pick them up and they say, your child is an angel, and then they go, hmm, well, they're not that way at home, you know what I mean? How come they do that for you and not for me? It's because when you're out, you're putting on your best self. And when you're with your family, that is where you are the most aware of each other's insecurities. Your digs are deeper with your family. If I know that Catherine has an insecurity, boy, can I, if I want to win an argument, I can drive that knife in because I know her better than anyone knows her. She can hurt me deeper than anyone can hurt me. The relationships we have as a family are a place where, for Paul, he knows, man, this is where you've got to, what's the phrase? I won't use the phrase if I don't know it, but it's like, this is where you've got to really demonstrate that this has happened in your life because this is where it's on trial the most. One thing I wrote down is, nothing is more difficult than living in a family where compassion, kindness, gentleness, patience, forgiveness, and love are tested daily. And they're not tested because people are trying to. They're tested because you're with each other all the time. I believe that instead of focusing on, hey, this is the marriage section of Colossians, the idea is that Paul is saying, I want you to take this idea of Christ as Lord, and I want you to apply it in your family. So just like Paul is saying you have an old life that you've put to death and a new life that has been born, he's saying put this into practice with your families. Do this with every part of your life. And, and for us, I, tr I try to think, and hopefully these connect, but I tried to think of some examples of what I might say to families today that maybe are a little bit more applicable. Husbands, if you come home from working all week and you have one off day, and you spend your off day golfing from 6 a.m. until 2 p.m., hanging out with the guys at the country club while your wife works constantly with the family, and then you come home, set all your stuff down, and expect to be served like an indentured slave. Is that how Christ would want you to treat your wife and your kids? Is that what you would want your kids watching displayed from the father in the household? Just curious. Husbands and wives, if you use sarcastic or critical comments and continually take jabs at your spouse in front of people. Every time your spouse says something, you've got to just add a little, well, not really. Well, yeah, they try to be on time, but, you know, uh, if every second you were adding a jab to everything your spouse says constantly, does that honor Christ in your marriage? When you do that, you belittle your spouse. You make them second-guess their value, second-guess their comments. They're constantly on edge of, what's my spouse going to say yet next? Does that sound like 
Christ is Lord of that family? Parents, do you make your children feel like their worth is contingent on how successful they are as a select soccer player, or how great their grades are, or how prolific they are with whatever extracurricular activity they do? I know many parents that struggle with this dichotomy of, I want to make sure my kids have everything they need, but then their kid is afraid to say, I kind of want to quit doing this thing that you've signed me up for doing all the time because I can tell it makes you proud when I do it well. Parents, are you putting that kind of pressure on your children? Children, kids, I'm talking to you, you ready? By the way, we're all children, but children, do you just obey your parents so that they'll get off your back and quit pestering you? Or do you truly try to think about, here is the purpose why my parents are asking me to do this, it's for my betterment, it's for a good purpose, and I'm going to actually try and do that rather than just, just doing enough to keep you from bothering me anymore, okay? Now, by me making that list and me trying to describe that, I'm not saying that that's scripture. I'm not saying that's gospel. But what I am saying is that that is the mindset. Please transfer over from Colossians that idea of looking at the way you're doing family and thinking, if Christ is Lord of this house, what's going to change about the way I parent, the way I am a child, the way I'm a sibling, all of those aspects. The bottom line point that Paul is making is that when you become a part of the resurrected life, and you become part of following a new king, Jesus Christ, it changes everything about you, what you do. You may have an old family life of the way you did family, and now you have a new one after Christ, after you've been cruciformed. You may have an old way of how you did business with people. Now you've known Christ, and you have a new way. You may have an old way of how you do blank. And now, Christ is Lord, you have to think about what does that mean and how does that infiltrate this part of my life. I have an illustration I've been dying to use. I'm so excited. In my house, we had a little section of tile in one part of our house that Catherine and I wanted to, that didn't match the rest of the house. And we wanted to take it up and put something that would match. I remember scraping up the tile. It went great. I was like, oh man, this is a breeze. It had some grout in it still, a little unevenness. And the people I talked to said, you want that to be smooth before you put down the new floor. So I try and scrape it. It's not working. I get it. Miguel, the guy next door, he sharpened the scraper for me to try and really still not working. And I bring it up to Ronnie, and Ronnie says, hey, I've got an angle grinder you can use. Angle grinder is kind of like a sander, but metal. And he says, I got a special metal attachment you can put on it, and it'll get it up. Thanks, Ronnie. Okay, so I'm here, and it literally, imagine that it's right here. I've got a couch sitting right here. And I think, you know what? This could get a little messy. So uh, I'm going to move this couch a little bit. I literally moved the couch maybe two feet over, thinking, okay, that'll be enough room, right? When I go to start grinding this, this concrete grout up off the ground with this angle grinder, within 30 seconds, my whole house looks like Desert Storm. I'm not even joking. Like, it looks like if Catherine were five feet in front of me, I would not be able to see her. Like, it is a fog of concrete dust in my entire house. And I thought moving the couch like two feet over would help. But I'm immediately like, what have I done? And, and I'm like, golly, our living room is covered in dust. But as I later find out, I mean, you could go down any hallway, any room, any bathroom, any closet, dust all in it, all over. It was weeks later, I'd be sitting somewhere looking at something and I'd just be like, oh man, there's dust there still. There's tons and tons of dust. And so you're probably like, where are you going with this, Drew? Just like with this analogy, there was nothing in my house that that dust didn't find its way into. It could have been a shut door and there was dust behind it. It's going to find a way in. Paul is saying, 
that whenever you give your life to Christ and you die to your old life and you are born to a new life, there is not one crack or crevice of your life that should not be fully surrendered over to Christ. That every single thing you do, the public things that people see and the private things that people don't know about, all have to be things that say, how is this something that I'm going to put under the new lordship of Jesus Christ? And so what I want to call you to today is I want you to reflect and think for a second. Is there something in my life that I haven't surrendered over to Christ yet? Do I have my little time out with the guys that, well, I'm a Christian most of the time, but God, you know, don't take that time from me. Or do you have a time where, you know, whenever no one's around, you're like, well, you know, I, that, that may be something that probably Christ wouldn't want me to do. Or do you have things where whenever it's just you and your family at home, you find a way to talk and say things where you're like, well, that probably isn't how Christ would want me to be in front of my family. Everything you do needs to be surrendered over to the fact that Jesus Christ died and was raised and that that is now the thing that leads everything you say and everything you do. If any of you would like to start this journey and learn about how incredible it is to be a part of this new life and to be a part of this new community defined by Christ's love, not by any of the other things, then I encourage you to talk with one of us. I'd love to talk with you during this song. And if any of you have any prayer requests, the elders will be standing at the exits as we stand and we sing.